Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. You know, I've really sensed in the last few weeks, I've sensed that God has really been teaching us something as a church. And I mean, really... He's been with us, and I'm grateful to you for leaning into the Holy Spirit's teaching and leaning into prayer as we've been looking at five great prayers to Lent. Some of you said, hey, are we going to do this prayer next or this prayer next? There's over 650 prayers in the Bible. That's the best count I could come up with. I tried to get somebody to back that up. No one was willing. Um, So you can go with it and and assume it's right, or you can check for yourself. We had to end somewhere, but I'm, I'm super grateful for you for leaning in during this series as we've been learning really just from the heart of God about how to communicate with God, about how to, to talk with God. I've been thinking a lot about, about how we learn to pray. And I've, I've realized something that I think we probably know that it is true on one level that we don't really need to be taught to pray, that that's something that's just intrinsic within us. We all have within us, every human that's ever been created, ever been born onto this earth, has had within them this desire to cry out to God at some point in their life. And that is because God created us. He created us in His image. God is a great communicator. And so we are people who are made to communicate the things that are going on within our head and within our our heart. And we were made for a relationship with God. And so we were made to communicate with God. Intrinsically, hardwired into who we are as human beings, there's something in us that knows to pray. But I've been thinking about how we learn the ways, the forms, the manners of praying. And, and I don't know if you remember your childhood prayers, what that was like. I'm watching my kids and I'm, I'm relearning the path of learning prayer. And like, like you probably, like me, like maybe if you've had kids, they started with learning song prayers. Sing song prayers that have rhymes and cadence, they're easy to memorize. And they all went through it, every one of them, and you hear the prayer over and over again. I can sing them, I have them memorized because of, of them now. But as they got a little older, their prayers would change, and they would form, and they would, they would look a little different and sound a little different. But my, my youngest, Kate, is about to be three this month, and Kate loves praying in this season. She loves it, and most nights, like, she demands that she's the one who prays at dinner time to thank God for our food, for our family, and for what He's done this day. And so we let Kate pray, and she bows her little head and, and clasps her little hands, and, and just, I mean, it gets all tight in here, and then she mumbles this little prayer that's almost indistinguishable unless you listen very carefully, and then you might hear your name pop up in the prayer, and that's like the greatest thing. And then she gets to the names, and for the food, and for the day, and then if you're, you're watching, her eye will like peek open, and she'll look around at everybody and make sure everyone's, everyone's with her, and then she goes, amen, and she grins real big, and it's this joyous, joyous thing. And I was thinking about this, how when we were children, when we were young, the prayer like that was simple. It was completely uncomplicated. And then something happened to us. Do you, do you know what happened to us? We got old, right? We got old. And as we got older, we became more independent and less inquisitive. As we got older, we became more self-aware and self-conscious and a little less open with the things that are going on in our hearts and in our minds. And for that, for some reason, for many people, it made prayer a much more complicated thing. And for some people, it became a much more daunting thing. And when you think about praying, you're going, I don't know, am I doing it right? Am I saying it right? Am I asking the right things? Am I using the right words? I don't know even what to do with my hands when I'm praying, right? 
And I, I heard someone say this once, and it stuck with me, that if you want to humble a Christian, ask him or her about their prayer life. I am humbled by my prayer life. I'm humbled by sometimes the lack of awe that I'm speaking with the God of the universe, the, the lack of awe in my prayer. I'm humbled by the lack of intimacy at other times in my prayers. I'm humbled that a lot of times prayer isn't the first place I turn when I go through something in life, but it might be the third or the fourth or the fifth thing I try or the final thing that I try after I've encountered something and I've said, I got this, and I've pushed and I've pressed and I've asked for help and I've gone online and researched, how do you handle this situation in life? And then finally it hits me when all else has failed, maybe I should, I should talk to God about this. Maybe I should pray. I'm humbled by that. But it's not a new struggle. It's a struggle that is very old. In fact, Jesus' best, closest friends on earth were people who struggled with this. And they, as they were going through their life, they watched people pray. They saw religious leaders praying, like Dustin talked about a moment ago. They saw, we find in Luke 11, they saw John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, teaching his disciples to pray. And they wondered. It was particular. It was different. They were like, well, what's going on here? And they were with Jesus watching him pray. And they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We want to know how to do this thing that everybody else seems to have a way of doing. How, how then should we pray? And what I love about what Jesus does in response is Jesus. I love how Jesus handles it. Jesus like leans into them and says, come a little closer. And what he does is he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you about the heart of prayer. I'm, I'm going to give you some words, but really what I'm going to do is teach you what prayer is all about. And that's where we'll land in this series. We've been looking at, at great prayers. We've done four so far, great prayers for Lent. Prayers in the Bible that are honest, they're powerful, they're vital, they're helpful in, in helping us understand how to talk with God. But the best place for us to land, I think, is learning what Jesus has to say about prayer. So we'll be, I'll look at the, the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer. It's in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. And maybe you learned the Lord's Prayer somewhere along the way, maybe in Catholic school, maybe in Sunday school, maybe as a song of some sort. But turn to Matthew chapter 6. Martin Luther said that the Lord's Prayer is the kind of prayer that you could pray a thousand times in your life and every time learn something new about it. And then he said the tragedy is a lot of people do pray the Lord's Prayer a thousand times in their life but never understand all that Jesus has given us within this prayer. And I want you to hear this up front, that Jesus gave us words, but he didn't say, repeat these words. He gave us a pattern to follow. And that's important because there's a difference there. One leads to ritual, it just becomes ritual, and the other shapes a relationship with God. And that's what, what Jesus has for us. What we find is that we can say the Lord's Prayer without ever praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're going to try because this is probably one of the most known, well-known uh, passages in the New Testament and the whole Bible. If you didn't learn it in Catholic school, maybe you learned it on TV because it's made its way into popular culture. I thought this morning we could read it together. Is that okay? The version I'm reading is on the screen. If you're able and willing, we'll read it together. Ready? One, two, and three. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did some of you struggle because you had the King James Version in your head? And you wanted to say art and now and, and yeah. Okay, this is my promise to you. This will be the quickest seven-point sermon you've ever heard. There's seven points to it, <laughs> but it will move quick. 
And the, the reason for this is because I found seven reminders within this prayer for every Christian. Seven reminders, which in and of itself is a reminder that it's not just the words that Jesus was giving, but it's what the words point our minds and hearts to that is the real gift that Jesus gives in this model prayer. The first of the seven reminders is this. Remember, you are welcomed and wanted by God. Remember that you are welcomed and wanted by God. I want you to say it with me. Say that I am welcomed and wanted by God. Will you do that? Here we go. I am welcomed and wanted by God. Now, say it like you mean it. I am welcomed and I'm wanted by God. Now, say it like you're preaching to yourself because you forgot. Ready? I am welcomed and I'm wanted by God. How does that feel? You know, there, for some people it is. It's just a great reminder. It's something that, that if you could start every day setting your day by remembering the truth and letting it wash all over you that I am welcomed and wanted by God. Everything else in your day may begin to settle into place just a little bit better. For some of you, it's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful reminder. For some of you, for some people, it's a really strange thing to say that I'm welcomed and wanted by God. It's very odd. I think for the disciples, it probably was very odd to hear the, the familiar and personal way that Jesus was teaching them to pray. Part of that is because they had been watching religious leaders pray their entire life, and religious leaders at this time focused on the sovereignty and the transcendence of God. They wouldn't do anything that spoke of, of familiarity or closeness or intimacy with God. God is up there, and we are down here, is how they would talk about God and how they would pray. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, there is no mention, uh, except for one in Psalm 89, of a personal, individual cry out to God as Father. There's a few times where God is called Father over the nation of Israel, because He's the one who, who began the nation of Israel and rules over them, but no personal declaration that God is like my dad, except for one in Psalm 89, and it's talking about how Jesus Himself would relate to God. And so it would, I think, be very odd to the disciples to hear Jesus invite them to pray in the way that he's praying. But we understand that by faith in Jesus, you are adopted sons and daughters of God. The New Testament declares this to us. Galatians 3 says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4 repeats it. Because you are sons and daughters of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And that Father there is the same word that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray when he says, our Father who is in heaven, who art in heaven for you King James people, right? So the amazing thing for the disciples here is Jesus is teaching those who are his followers are welcomed and wanted to share into the same relationship that Jesus has with his Father in heaven. It's an invitation more than an instruction. And Oswald Chambers said, in light of this fact, we should never make prayer too complicated, but we should come to prayer like children to a father. And I was thinking this week about how I communicate with my own parents, comparing how I talk to God with how I talk to my own parents. And you know what I realized? I need to talk to my parents more. I need to give them a call today. <laughs> they desire it. I enjoy it most of the time, right? I learn things from them all of the time. Fact, they are my biggest supporters. They, they pray more fervently for me and want better for me than I typically know to pray for myself and want for myself. It's fact. They're my biggest encouragers, and they're willing to speak the hard truths to me without any compromise in the integrity of their love for me. I should talk to my parents more than I do. 
And some of you who maybe have lost a parent that was like that was just all for you, for the Lord, for you. Maybe you might have regret that you didn't call them more, that you didn't ask them more questions and listen more to the things that they had to say. And some of you, maybe you didn't have that or you don't have that. And speaking with a parent, it's not sweet. It's not good. It's painful. It's tough. It's difficult. Maybe it's even toxic. But what I want you to hear, what I want you to see here is that you have a father in heaven who is perfect in love. He's perfect in wisdom, perfect in power, perfect in grace. He has a perfect track record at all of these things, even when you don't know it, even when you don't realize what he's doing. And it's not just Christianese. It's not just a thing that I'm paid to say because I'm a pastor. Let me tell you, God loves you. God, God is always for you. He's always great. He's always good. It just is what it is. And I pray that you would come to know it and to know it personally for sure. You have a perfect father in heaven who loves you in a way that you can't begin to fathom. And Jesus says, I want you to share in the kind of relationship I have with my father in heaven. I should talk to my heavenly father more. Not because of the guilt of legalism, not because I'm trying to appease or placate some cruel master, but because of the fact I am welcomed and wanted by God. (laughs) I should talk to my Father in heaven more. That's the first reminder. The second reminder is my Father is God. (laughs) Our Father is not on earth. Our Father is in heaven. And we see that also in the line, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means that which is most important, that which is the supreme focus, which is your ultimate concern. The fact that he's not our earthly father, but he's our who art in heaven father, and the fact that his name is hallowed here distinguishes something about him, that he is, while personal, he's transcendent, and he's sovereign. And the relationship that we have with God, therefore, is both personally intimate and deeply, profoundly intended to be respectful. Like he's dad, he's God, he's dad, but he is the king. <laughs> he, he's dad, but he is the, the sovereign, holy, righteous God of the universe who was and is and always will be. And I believe that Jesus made sure to, to include this in his prayer so that the first point, the point of his kindness and his friendliness and his personal care for us doesn't eclipse or transcend the fact that he is still the God of the universe. They would have both of those things in our mind, in our heart, and in our prayers. And when you see those two together, that I am welcomed and wanted in prayer, and my Father is God. I think what we're meant to see is is that prayer is really more about having a right relationship that grows and develops and flourishes with God than it is me getting out a laundry list of all the needs and all the problems and all the things that I see in life, which by the way, God already sees, he already knows, he already cares about because I'm welcomed and wanted by God and he already has a solution for because he is my father who is in heaven, right? Our prayers are really more about fostering, about cultivating a right kind of relationship with God than they are me getting out my my list of things. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're asking God to do is to make much, to hallow his name, to make much of him and his glory in my mind and in my heart and in the world at large, that he would overcome any, any blindness spiritually I have to the fact that he is real and that he is near and that he cares, that he would overcome any indifference that I have in my heart, in my mind, in my attitude, in my words, in my actions, that he would overcome the indifference I so often wake up with in the morning, and that he would remove any obstacles that might hinder me 
from knowing him and loving him, delighting in him, admiring him, obeying him, treasuring him above all things. That's why I say, Lord, hallow your name. And we do this. We ask that he would make much, and we do it with honesty, and we do it with integrity, when we really deep down believe that, yeah, I am welcomed and wanted by the God of the universe. And when we believe what he has for me, his will and his way for me is better than almost, I mean, than everything that I tend to settle on in life and almost anything I've ever conceived of, right? And that's the the third reminder. Remember, his kingdom, his ways, and his will is better. Better than what? Better than the things that we typically settle on. We see that in verse 10. Your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. What Jesus says is, I want you to pray willful prayers where your will is laid out, your wants, your desires are laid out, and then I want you to submit your will to God's will. I think a lot of people take the Spice Girls approach when it comes to prayer. Uh, Yeah. Any Spice Girls fans here in the room? You wouldn't admit it if it was so, right? You got it. I tell you what I want, what I really, really want, right? And if I quote the Spice Girls, it's only appropriate that I follow up with quoting Tim Keller. Tim Keller said, (laughs) God always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. It's a little better than the Spice Girls. The fact is, I've prayed some really dumb stuff before. And, And that sounds harsh. Because there is no wrong words to use with God. There's not. We're to come just as we are and to be honest. Even when I use the wrong words and ask for the wrong things, I lay it before a holy God who loves me, who cares for me, who welcomes me and wants me. I lay it out before him and I invite him into my life, right? Yet here's here's the thing in retrospect with the limited information and perspective I have in any given moment. I have prayed for some really, really dumb things. Some things that if God was obeying my will, if God was bending to my will and just answering my questions and my, my requests like a genie and a lamp, my life would be in ruins. Because so often I ask for things that aren't best and aren't even good for me, right? God always gives us what we would have asked for. If we knew everything he knows. In other words, God has perfect insight, perfect knowledge, and perfect perspective. And if I knew what he knew and I saw what he saw, I probably would pray for different things most of the time. Facts. Jesus says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is us acknowledging that our will and our way isn't always best. And God probably knows more than I know all of the time. The psalmist got this and, and shared this perspective in Psalm 37, 4. So delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love that verse. I heard it in high school. Uh, I thought I was going to get a big tattoo of it. And then I got, I chickened out at 18 and I drove away. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What this means is when I make the Lord and his will and his ways, my relationship with him, the greatest desire of my life, when I hallow him, when he makes much of him in my life, then his will and his ways begin to become my desires. Does that make sense? I need my desires to become his desires because my desires apart from his desires kind of stink. My prayers apart from his care and his grace and his wisdom are often kind of dumb. I need his desires to become my desires. Prayer is not 
<laughs> it's not so much about me trying to bend God's will to my will, which is the way most of us approach prayer. But prayer is about me laying out my will and God beginning to turn and curve and bend my will in a, such a way that I can enjoy and delight in life because I begin to embrace his will and his ways and his kingdom. It's the third reminder. The fourth reminder is this. I'll say it the short way, then the long way. The short way. Remember, your mundane matters to God. Remember that your mundane matters to God. Praying, your will be done and, and not mine, doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the basic things in your life. Doesn't mean that the only things on God's mind are these big, you know, things up in the air that are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. No, he cares about the small things. Here's the long way of saying it. God is intimately involved in even the most ordinary mundane things of life. He is, and your mundane matters to God. I see this because he says, Jesus says, he says, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. We're told to pray practically about things we need. And in the Greek, do you know what the word bread here means? It means bread. <laughs> you learned something today. It means bread. You know, write that down. Literally, the most basic element of nourishment found on earth for all time, right? From the beginning, bread. And so Jesus says, pray practical prayers. Pray for what you need. Pray, I think it's both literal and figurative. Pray that you have bread, the most basic thing that you need to live life on this earth, but not just the food, but for all of the things that you need to live life on this earth, you can pray these things. Now, here, here's an interesting thing. God is committed to meeting our, yeah, you said it needs. It didn't say give us this day our daily crab cakes. Though it would have been awesome if Jesus said that. Or give us this day our daily cheesecake. That would be a prayer that I could pray every day, right? He said, give us this day our daily bread. Here's something that might help you. Something you might write down. God is committed to meeting all of my needs and in his grace, some of my wants. Does that make sense? God's committed to meeting all of my needs and in his grace, even some of the things that I want. He will meet in my life. I hear people say to me sometimes, I don't know what to pray. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to pray. Here's my answer. I'll answer kind of that request, that question with the question, what do you need? You know where to start? What do you need? There's something you can talk to God about. And you go, well, I still, I'm not quite sure. I don't know what I need. I, how am I know that? And now we're getting into some kind of playing games with each other thing. So I'll tell you this. How about you start with this? God, I think I need this. I think I do. But let me start here. Would you hallow your name? Would you make much of yourself in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my attitudes? And would you do your will in my life just as you do in heaven? Now, Lord, help me to understand what do I need? What is it that, that I need? What is it that is of concern in my life? What should I, I be trusting you for? And then help me to trust that you do care and that you can meet every need of my life. Your mundane matters to God. Jesus says to pray for it. Don't think it's too little, too insignificant, not on God's mind. Your mundane matters to God. Fifth reminder. Ooh, here's a hard one. Remember the biggest need of our life is forgiveness. It's the biggest need of our life. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, God, forgive the debt of sin that we have against you. And then help us to forgive those who have a debt of sin against 
us. Now, I, I want to dispel a myth or, or clarify some confusion that I grew up with. I don't know if you grew up with this, but I did. I assume there may be people here too who do. So I want you to understand that when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for life and salvation, all of your sins were forgiven. Are you paying attention? How much of your sins were forgiven? That's right. All of your sins were forgiven when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for life and salvation. That means past, present, future, big and small, all of it. And so you don't need to ask for forgiveness for forgiveness you've already received. That makes no sense. So what do we do with this? How do we make sense of Jesus saying, pray about forgiveness? And, and we have in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do we understand this? Well, in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven positionally. So I say positionally. And that cannot be undone, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be taken away from you. In Christ, you have access through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, to the Father. That will never stop. Not on any day of your life on earth, no matter what decision you make, and it will not stop when the greater, the greater portion of your life happens, when this life, earthly life ends and you spend eternity with the Lord. Nothing will ruin your position with the Lord when you're in Christ. Now, we also know that our daily sins, present and future, hurt our relationship with God. We, we see this in, in Ephesians 4.30. It talks about offending God. talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. This isn't a positional issue. This is a relational issue. I'll tell you how this works in, in my life. It works in my marriage. Lindsay and I have made a covenant to each other and to the Lord. Our marriage is till death do us part. That's the position that we're in, till death do us part. And yet, each and every day, I find a new way to relationally hurt our relationship because I'm a human and I'm broken and I'm not perfect, right? And so, do I go to her and have to say, our covenant, our position has broken because I was a jerk this morning? Or do I say, our relationship is hurting because I didn't say what I should have said this morning? Right? That's the difference. Do you see the difference? Positionally versus relationally. That we should go and say, Lord, anything that I've done that has grieved your spirit, anything that I've done that stands between you and I relationship, I want to confess it. I want to agree with you about our sins. The first dimension is the vertical dimension. I need a debt forgiven of my sin to the Lord, but it didn't start with vertical, it moves to horizontal. I need then, maybe the second greatest need of the human life is to have forgiveness between relationships with other people. The implicit message is don't be the person who stops the path of forgiveness in this world. Don't be the person who says, God, you have forgiven me, but I just can't forgive this person. Don't stand in the way of God's life-giving through you into the world because you can't get over the hurts that have been done to you. Now, this doesn't mean, forgiving another person doesn't mean that you become their doormat. It doesn't mean that, that, that you have no boundaries in your life whatsoever, but it does mean that you don't allow unforgiveness to rule in your heart. And it always to almost always means you go and you talk to the person who has offended you. Tough stuff, right? 
It's interesting how the deepest need and maybe the hardest work is all in one line in verse 12. Is it hard to forgive someone who's really cut deep? I don't have it in me a lot of times. I mean, I mean it. I'm not that good. I, I don't have that much grace or that much wisdom. So what do we do? Days have passed, weeks have passed, months have passed, and unforgiveness threatens to rule my heart every morning when I wake. Remember last week in Mark 9, there was a boy who was possessed, there was a father who was desperate, there were disciples who couldn't heal, there were, there were religious leaders who were arguing and debating and mocking. Remember how Jesus answered the disciples when they said, why can't we do it? How come I don't have the power? Why don't I have the ability to do the thing I thought I was supposed to be able to do? Jesus said, a thing like this cannot come out by anything but by prayer. Maybe that's why Jesus told us to pray forgiveness. Because sometimes that is the task that we can't meet. Sometimes like the disciples in Mark 9, we're going, Lord, why can't I, I forgive? Jesus says, you should be praying about forgiveness. It's his power that we're, we're reaching into for forgiveness, not ours. Right? Reminder number six. Whew, remember, you are daily in a spiritual battle. And don't forget this and don't neglect this in your daily prayers then. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This word temptation can and does mean in the New Testament, it's translated as temptation, as trials, and as tests or testing. And everywhere it's used, it's talking about uh, trials or difficulties that we face that might cause us to not be faithful to God or to lose our faith in God. And so what Jesus is saying is when you pray each and every day, you should pray with care and with intense awareness that you are daily waking up in the middle of a spiritual battle. Not just difficulties with people, but deeper level battle that is going on and there's an enemy who is trying to take you out, trying to distort your life, trying to destroy your life in every way. And so when you look at your relationships, when you look at your job, when you look at your time commitments in your sex life and your community involvement and your finances. Don't allow anything that you experience in those arenas of your life, all of the things that make up your life, don't allow anything in those to be used by the enemy to steal life from you and to point you in the wrong way. Remember Romans 8, 28 through 30 we looked at earlier this year? That even in, in all circumstances, even in the worst of them, but in all circumstances, the Lord is working to bring about His glory and your good. Remember that? In all circumstances and ultimately what is the, the good that he is creating or producing in your life? It's making you more like Jesus Christ through all circumstances. More like his grace, more like his power, more like his truth, more like his care, more like his generosity in all things. So Jesus says this essentially, expect temptation, pray for deliverance. Got me? Every day, wake up, expect temptation, Pray for deliverance. Don't necessarily just pray for different circumstances. You can surely do that. But pray that you would be delivered from temptation in the middle of what circumstances come. Don't just pray that there wouldn't be any pain today. You can pray that. That's fine. But pray that you would be delivered from temptation when the pain comes of greater importance because there will be pain today. Ephesians 6 reminds us to put on the full armor of God. 
Ephesians 4 reminds us, don't let the devil have a foothold in your life. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us, and we've got to pray according to the promise, that when we're tempted, God will provide a way out. Not so that we cannot deal with difficulty, but so that we can, the word is, endure it. So remember that daily you're in a spiritual battle. It's right here woven into the Lord's Prayer. Expect temptation, pray for deliverance. Lastly, and this is the most brief, briefly explained, shortest seven-minute sermon ever. And I'm getting a little winded here. So <sighs> remember the Lord's Prayer is a communal prayer, right? See all the, the us's and the ours and the we there? It reminds us that all of these things, they're not simply individual pursuits. We're not to just hallow the Lord's name in our own life, but it's something to be done together. We're not simply to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not simply to pray, Lord, give me the power to forgive. Help me to forgive. Lord, would you forgive me on our own? But we're we're meant to do it together as the church. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and do this. I want to do this together. And we find occasionally on Sundays we'll do this, and, and I'm always nervous. I'm like, oh, people aren't going to want to do it. And then afterwards, like, oh, we should do this every week. And we did this at our Ash Wednesday service. We gathered in small groups around the room. And what a, what a rich time of being the family of God and, and seeking the Lord's face together. And I want to do that this morning. If you will, where you are, if you just gather with some people around you, and maybe there's someone in the room you go, I feel the Lord prompting me. I need to go pray with this friend right now. If you would just gather where you are in small groups, I'll give you a minute to do so. It will be messy. That's okay. And I will begin a prayer time. We'll have those seven reminders up. And you just take some time to pray with your church. This is your church family. Let's come together around this model prayer and seek the Lord together. You guys move.